0: All right, let's turn in our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs chapter 27, and we got down through verse 4, so we pick up in verse number 5. The theme of those first four verses had to do with attitudes, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into detail rehearsing everything that we've already talked about but that section dealt with attitudes and now we come to verse number five on down through verse 17 and uh, as I see it all of this section of the chapter has to do with our associates you know people that we rub shoulders with people that you know that we come in contact with those that we associate with and uh I think tonight I'd like to just cover these first three verses, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, because when we get to verse 8, it's a, it's a verse I, I'd really like to spend some time on, and uh, uh, I don't want to take the time to do that tonight. Verse number 5 says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, in order to you know, to understand that verse, we have to take it in connection with what follows. And that's, you know, that's always one of the main rules whenever you're studying the Bible. You study the Bible in the light of the context. And, uh, you know, if you take the Bible out of context, you know, you can make it say absolutely uh, anything by just picking and choosing a verse here and a verse there or or a statement uh, and take it apart from everything else. And so you You have to look at all of the verses and the direction that he's going. And and when you do, obviously the context puts this uh, under the heading of friendship, our associates. And so he's not speaking about here the habitual harping of those that are always finding fault. Let me clear that up because there are plenty of those people you know, just constantly finding fault with something, but rather he's talking about what we would call constructive criticism. That is counsel from people that care about us. And uh, let let me tell you, the last part of that statement is the thing that makes all the difference in the world when somebody cares about you. And the point is, and you'll see this later on too, that friends are going to be honest and they're going to be helpful with one another. Carol and uh, and also others that have testified tonight in regards to the church, uh, you know, and as a as a pastor, that uh, it just blesses my heart and thrills my soul to hear people speak well of the church. And by speaking well of the church, I'm talking about them talking about what the church has meant to them and how it's helped them and so forth. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a great blessing. It's one thing for us to be correct in our doctrine, that is, in our theology. And that's all important. Please don't, you know, don't take that to mean that that being friendly is more important than being right, because being right is important. But, you know, we can be right about everything and yet have an attitude that is such that nobody really cares, and it goes back to that old saying, people don't care how much you know till they know how much you care, and uh, it's important that we convince people that we really do care uh, about them. So this is not talking about people, you know, that are harping about your faults, but somebody that is honest with you, somebody that is helpful to you. And uh, I don't think this means neither that they ought to comment on every fault they see. You know, it simply means that they don't pretend that we're without faults. Open rebuke is better than secret love. And by open, that's not talking about spreading your faults out publicly for everybody to see. If you look at the second part there where he talks about secret love, that is somebody says, oh, yeah, you know, I love you dearly. I've loved you for a long time. You know, I just think the world of you, you know, and uh, that's what they would say. But it is secret in the sense that it's not obvious. There's no evidence of it. And so when he talks about open rebuke, uh, he's not talking about them making your faults public knowledge but rather he's talking about them being obvious about it and it's an open rebuke they come to you that ought to be the manner in which they do they come to you they're not pretending that you know that because you're my friend that you're without any faults and it's out of the depth of their concern that you know they're compelled sometimes to rebuke us and you know, nobody likes to be rebuked you know and uh, especially the you know the way some people go at it like a bull in a china shop you know and uh, you know sit down here I need to talk to you a minute I you know, I want to I want to tell you about where you're wrong and you know there's a, a, a proper way to say things and uh you'd be amazed what your friends are willing to listen to whenever you express it in a tone of love and and out of the depths of concern for them. And rebuke is hard enough to take, but when it's coming from somebody, and this is the key part of it, somebody that has proven themselves to be your friend, we ought to give them serious consideration Somebody, and aren't you glad you can look around and, and, you know, maybe mention a certain person's name and say, you know, they have proven. They didn't just say they're my friend. They've proven they're my friend. They've given evidence of it. I don't have any doubt about it. They're my friend. And when somebody like that, that you know cares dearly about you, and they come to you, whether you're sitting there drinking a cup of coffee together or wherever you might be and, and just out of a spirit of love, they mention something that they see that they know uh, is a detriment to your Christian testimony. And I, I've often said the church where I was saved, the people, uh, it was a little country church and uh, the, the the people there uh, wouldn't let you backslide if you tried. And uh, I've often talked about uh, a dear friend uh, of mine. Was, uh, he was about my age, but he was a deacon in the church, a red-headed deacon, and he's dead in heaven now. But uh, his name was Paul Davis. And I'm going to tell you what, I there there's no way. If he just thought you was even thinking about not being there, you know he's liable to say something, and 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 just to be honest, sometimes he he kind of like made a pest out of himself. But but you knew he was coming from a good place. He loved you, you know, and and just uh, uh, wanted what was best for you. And isn't it great to have associates like that? I mean, you, you know they love you, and you know they're not going to say something to intentionally hurt you or to invest you, but it's because they're really concerned. Now, notice verse 6, faithful are the words of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, maybe a good way of saying that, in light of the Bible, is to simply sum it up by saying Jesus is better than Judas under any circumstances. Yeah, and I think that's—I think that's what that—that that verse is all about. You know, Judas uh, can—you know—plant uh, a kiss on your cheek and supposedly demonstrating love. And you look at Jesus and the way that He dealt with people and boy, He made some strong statements, did He not? I mean, man, He just cut loose sometimes, but everything He said was out of love. And, and out of concern for people it was for the good of others and you know you you look back over here at some of the statements he made to the pharisees and you know he talked about them being an opal and sepulchre and talking about it full of dead men's bones and he talks about people you know being like a serpent and uh so forth and and you you read that and it's like you know, how in the world can a, a, a God of love, you know, talk to people like that? And by the way, there are a lot of those people that left him. I mean, they couldn't take it when he turned up the heat. And a lot of people got this idea that preachers ought to never, you know, uh, never deal with any issues, never to get emotional about anything, that they're just, uh, you know, just, uh, be willy-nilly and, Dance around the subject, but boy, Jesus met it head on. He did it in the right way and in the right attitude. And some people did not stay. They packed their bags and they left out of there. But let me tell you, he was uncovering their pretense, and and even in in doing what he did. Look, it would not have helped those people for them to follow him just because he never raised his voice or never mentioned their sin. And so they, well, we're going to stick with him. You know, after all, I want to see some more of those miracles he's been doing. Man, I tell you, this guy is something else. I, I, I'm going to stick with him. That wouldn't have helped them a bit because Jesus wasn't in the entertainment business. He was in the business of saving souls and changing lives. And he never encouraged anybody to follow him under false pretense. He turned to that crowd and said, look, if you're going to be my disciple, it's going to cost you everything you got. You're going to have to follow me, you know, and you're going to have to bear your cross. You're going to have to sacrifice and so forth. And so the Lord was upfront and honest with them, you know. And um, if a person really, you know, really loves you, they're going to speak the truth, even in those times that it might uh, might not be welcomed. It, 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 you know, might be something that. Uh, uh, would would normally discourage you, and yet you realize that they're speaking to you out of a heart of love, and they see something in your life that is harmful and detrimental to your Christian life, and they come to you and speak to you. And boy, let me tell you, just, just that that expression of concern for them uh, or by them. Is a whole lot better than somebody, you know, that put on a great big display about, you know, how much they love you and, uh, and then that's as far as it goes. You know, that sounds good, uh, but it, you know, it doesn't do any good. And so we need to, we need to thank God for friends like that and we need to be mindful of our responsibility to be friends like that. Now, verse 7. And this is going to to appear totally disconnected with what we've been talking about. The full soul loatheth a honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Now, we've been talking about friendship, right? And uh, that's what's clearly spoken of if you go all the way up through verse number 17. But when you look at verse 7 and 8... This seems to be totally unrelated to the subject at hand. And so whenever I run across something like that, what I do is a lot of times start doing some research of theologians and pastors and preachers that... You know, the very studied men, very intelligent men, and so I began to read the different commentaries and, and thank God for this day and age that we live in that you don't have to have a library like I used to have with thousands of books, uh, that I had worked my way through, but I can just, I can find almost anything ever been written somewhere on the internet and uh and, and able to look up their comments on it and the strange thing is, as I looked through all of this i I, I couldn't find anybody commenting on how this related to our associates or the subject of friendship whatsoever now. Whenever I run across something like that and I find myself, you know, out uh, on a limb all by myself and there's nobody else perched there with me, I start thinking, well, I must be wrong. You know, uh, you know I, I, I guess I'm just uh, surmising that my, my theory about this is right because nobody else agrees and, though you know, those men are brilliant and they're scholars and what have you. And so I'm saying all that for a reason because I, I take it as a very serious matter to properly interpret God's Word, and I'm not going to do it just based on what somebody has written about it. But neither am I going to base my belief of what it teaches on what somebody else has written about it. So, uh, you know, you can, you can learn from other people, but when you get right down to the nitty gritty here, and the more I looked at this, all of a sudden, to me at least, I, I become convinced that there is a connection, and, and it, that makes sense because, you know, we go to verse number 5 and 6 and it's about associates and we pick up in verse 9 on through verse 17 and it's about associates so why wouldn't this have an application to that also and um, so he's talking about the open rebuke of a friend something that hurts and as much as we might need a reprimand from somebody at times it's not something we ever ask for I I don't remember. In fact, in 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 all of these years of being a pastor, I can remember only one time where somebody came to me and said, "If you see any faults in my life, I really do want you to call it to my attention." I didn't believe what he was saying, and. And by the way, this guy was an officer in the church. But yeah, I said, really, you, whatever faults I see, you want me to call? It? Yep. Because he said, you know, I want to be all I can be, and I, you know, I want you to be honest with me. Well, in the first place, uh, you know, I don't have time to sit around and examine his life every day, and and so forth. And and in the second place, I'm not really sure that he really meant that because I. You know, o- over a period of time, you know, there were several things I could have talked to him about. But I'm just saying, most of us don't go around asking people, you know, would you would you be on the lookout for some faults in my life because I, I really need somebody to step me down and give me a good talking to. We, no, nobody's looking for that. It's not something that we desire. It's something that we are reluctant to accept, even from our friends. We sure don't want to hear it from somebody that d- doesn't care anything about us, right? But even from our friends, it, it's not something that we, you know, look forward to. Now, if we assume that we don't need it, uh, we're going to get disgusted and we're going to reject it. Now, think about that in the light of what he just said here, the Full soul loatheth honeycomb. That, that word loatheth there means to trample underfoot. Now let me tell you, honeycomb was a, was an important staple in that in those days, and. Uh, Boy, I'll tell you what, that was always my favorite part of the honey, you know. People just eat honey without the honeycomb. Boy, you take a big old hot biscuit and a slab of real butter, not margarine, but real butter, and then get you a big old glob of that honeycomb and put it on there. Man, I'm telling you what, that's some good stuff. But it's only good stuff until you get stuffed. And after you're full, believe me, it's not so appetizing. Kind of like bluebell ice cream. Every time I eat ice cream, it's like, why did I do that? You know, I hate myself for eating it because when I'm eating it, it's great. But it's when I get through eating it, you know, and, and that's not a time you'd want to ask me, you want another bowl of ice cream? No, I don't. I have no desire for ice cream. It's the last thing that I'm interested in. Give me something fried and greasy, you know. <laughs> not more ice cream. Well, you know, I, I, to, to me, when he's talking about the fact that uh our friends and our loved ones rebuking us at times and trying to correct our behavior. You know, if we don't see a need for it, what do we do? We trample it underfoot, right? Whereas if we have an appetite for it, notice the hungry soul, to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I I thought of Ingrid whenever I read... uh, Read a Jewish, I mean, not Jewish, a a German proverb or a a saying, and it says, Hunger makes raw beans sweet. Had you ever heard that? Is that. Hunger makes raw beans sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. My mother used to say, Anything tastes good if you're hungry enough. Yeah, it really does. I guess that's why. You know people talk about different fish you know they want crappie and that well we've eat gar we've eat crop uh car- uh, carp I mean, and about everything under the sun and uh, i I won't tell you the rest of it we we beat I posted a thing the other day about possum and boy, I got a lot of negative nobody tried it <laughs> yeah, well well i really, i'm gonna be honest with you i really don't want it now but uh but i've eaten everything from possum to woodpecker to metal to uh all of that stuff and, and if you're hungry enough you'll eat it and i to, now to me going back to what we're talking about here in verse number five he's talking about the need for us to listen the need to listen to a rebuke and uh you know, hearing what we, what you know, what we know that we need to hear, what we want to hear, uh, that's one thing. But a lack of appetite is something we're going to resent. It reminds me of the Church of the Laodiceans. Remember, man? I mean, here was the church. They said, "We are rich, and we are increased in goods, and we have need of nothing." Wow, what a self-righteous attitude that is! Think about that. This is a church, one of the Lord's churches, and they said, we don't don't need anything. You know, that's the church that was lukewarm, of course. And uh, and a lot of people are like that. They have no appetite for the truth, uh, whether it has to do with their behavior or anything else that might be an embarrassment to them. And let me tell you, that's a serious problem. When you do, it's it's kind of like going to the doctor and saying, Doc, you know, I've just not been really feeling good lately, or anything," and 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 I, and I want you to run a whole battery of tests. And um, so he goes through all of these tests, and you spend some time in the hospital, and then he gets a result of it, and uh, he says, "Now I, I'm, I'm I'm calling you into the office, you know, to sit down and talk with you and." Uh, we got the results of your test back. And you look at him, well, Doc, I can tell from the look on your face that it's not looking really good. And and uh, he nods in the affirmity and, well, let me explain. Oh, no, don't, don't explain. I don't want to hear it. If it's not good, I don't want to hear it. Well, you know, look, it could be cancer. It could be heart disease. It could be anything. No, you might not want to hear it, but just maybe you need to hear it. The truth shall set you free. And uh, so when you come to the Word of God, let me remind you that the Word of God is both bitter and sweet. Man, we look at those exceeding great and precious promises and it's so sweet. But also as you look into the Word of God, parts of it, wow, I'm telling you it's bitter because it brings conviction to our heart. And anybody that, you know, that comes to the conclusion that they're everything that they need to be, there's no room for improvement in their life, that just tells me they're not spending any time in the Word of God. Because the more time you spend in God's Word, the more you're going to realize how you come short of the glory of God, you see. So uh, let me sum it all up. When it comes to your friends, though I'm talking about those that obviously love you and you know they have your best interest at heart, don't be so quick to disregard what they say. Now, they might be wrong. Don't make any mistake about it. They might be wrong. But the fact that they love you and the fact that they care enough to come to you and talk to you about it tells you something. Listen, look, at least respect them. And don't get all bent out of shape just because they called something to your attention. That's no license for you to get angry with them. Sometimes they're wrong, but they love you enough to make an effort to help you. But sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're right. I'll never forget it. several years it in the second church I pastored, and I I, 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 I won't go into detail what it was all about, but it was one of those mornings I that during the preaching I, I just got off on I guess a pet peeve and and pitched a fit, and I mean I was lambasting everybody about everything. And uh, after after the service, uh, there was one of the men there in the church that came to me, just me and him in private, and in a very loving, kind way, just suggested to me that I was letting that stuff distract me from what was really important. And uh, i, I got to tell you, I, I didn't appreciate it at the time. In fact, I threw a pencil across the office. I wasn't trying to hit him. And he just looked at me and said, Uh let's see, what was it? Something about, oh now we're gonna throw a fit, uh I thought, man, I, I wanted to punch that guy in the nose, but I was sitting in the church office. But I won't tell you it wasn't thirty minutes till I realized he was right. And he did me a favor in in caring enough about me to call that to my attention uh and and, and let me know. If you've got a friend that loves you enough to even make an attempt to try to to help you, thank God for them. Amen. Well, I hope you have the best Thanksgiving day of your life and that you enjoy your family and your friends and, and just have a great time together and uh, be safe out there, of course.